You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Well, we're here to talk about defining moments this morning. And especially that defining moment that we just witnessed there on the screen. The tomb being empty. When we talk about defining moments in life, what are some of those things that are defining moments? And we immediately might think of, well, graduation, high school graduation, or getting your driver's license, or things like that. But there are other, there's lots of defining moments that are not those things, not those types of things. How about that time when you first asked your wife-to-be on a date, and she said, yes, I'll never forget that moment in my life. How about that time when you were playing sports and you decided, even though you were exhausted and completely spent, and you said, you know what, I'm going to do this even though I don't feel like I can. And you stepped out and you continued to work hard and, and, and you did something great on the sports arena, in that sports world. That can be a defining moment in a person's life. What about that time when you perhaps overcame a bad habit a habit that you were struggling with, something, maybe an addiction or maybe just a, something that wasn't good for you, it wasn't healthy, and you overcame that, maybe with the power of the Lord in your life, and there was a defining moment that took place right there. Well, today, we're remembering the defining moment, not just in the life of Jesus, but really for all believers in Jesus Christ and not just all believers, but really all the world, guys, if you think about it. This day is the defining moment for all people in all cultures, in all places, everywhere, in all times. Why is it the defining moment in the history of the world? Because if Jesus is who he says he is, and, and he is, guys, there's solid evidence to that fact, but there, if he is who he says he is, then there is salvation and forgiveness of sin in no other source. There is satisfaction in human life in no other source. And the event that we're gathered today to talk about and examine and celebrate is the single most important event besides creation in the history of the earth. This is because our entire future hinges upon our belief about the man who is God, the God-man, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And he doesn't, and human needs cannot serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the entire earth. He decided beforehand that they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for all nations to seek after God. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he's not far away from any one of us. Don't you love that? God's not far away. For in him, the Bible says, we live and move and exist. 
as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world by the, or with justice by the man whom he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is. Listen to this. By raising him from the dead. In other words, Jesus Christ is the risen Lord who proves to you and to me that there is no greater source for life in this world. As we read through the story in Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to look at the first 10 verses with you this morning. We're going to see three things about God. The first thing that we see is the overwhelming power of our God's. Read with me there in verses 1 through 4 of Matthew chapter 28. And if you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. We read, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. I want you to take a moment this morning and just imagine with me what it must have been like in this moment here before the tomb. And I know that that could be hard to do. You might have to close your eyes for a minute. (laughs) But imagine the power of creation in this moment. Matthew says that as the day was dawning, they came to the tomb. Did you know that even that language reminds us of the creator God? That through the creation, we see the power of God. This morning at my house, I was up early enough to be able to go outside and to see the sun begin to peak over the horizon. And as it peaked over the horizon and began to filter through the the fresh green yellow leaves of spring that were there the trees in front of my house and it began to kind of trickle you know the shadows playing there on the wall behind me it was a beautiful sacred moment in which I recognized the power of our creator God well that is how they felt with the coming of the dawn as they see this Matthew puts that in the text I believe there to remind us of the newness of life The power of the creator God. Because just as life here on planet earth stems from the power of the S-U-N, son, so too eternal life springs forth from believing on the S-O-N, the son of God. We're also reminded that just as creation speaks of the power of the creator, that there is no empire, no created empire that can stop the Lord. Did you notice that they had Roman guards stationed in front of the tomb? The Roman Empire, in all its might and glory, could not keep the Son of God in the grave. That Roman guard, on pain of death, you see, was assigned to watch over that tomb and to keep anybody from breaking in to the tomb. 
as, as the day dawned, I guarantee you the last thing on their minds was someone breaking out of that tomb. But there the angel showed up and in his power rolls that stone away. And the, the Roman guards that created Roman Empire, they're powerless to stop the Lord. Amen. Nothing can stop the Lord. They didn't sign up for somebody coming out of the tomb. It must have blown their minds. It must have caused them to fear. I have no doubt the Roman soldiers knew in that moment, hey, I'm stepping back. I'm getting out of the way because nothing can stop the power of God. Did you know that God's power is still in effect today? Did you know that God's power is still working through the name of Jesus Christ in the lives of individuals who place their trust in him today? I know this because I'm one of them. The power of God works in me through my trust in Jesus Christ. The message of God for all of us here today is clear. Look to the Lord. Look to me, God says, and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Sadly, some of you here today will look to the Lord Jesus Christ today. You will see him work, you will see him move, and then you will leave without being saved. But listen, that will not be God's fault. That would be your mistake. God says, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. He invites you. God's power is available to you today who believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And the reason we know that this is true is because of the second thing that we see in the scripture, and that is the pertinent power of prophecy. The pertinent power of prophecy is seen in this passage. Look at verses five through seven with me. It says, then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly, tell his disciples that he, was, he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. <laughs> Those words there that the angel said, remember what I have told you, they probably echoed in the, in, the, in the followers of Jesus' minds. Because you see, Jesus himself had spoken of this very occasion many times. Let me refresh your memory, uh, your memory of a few of them. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40, Jesus said this, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He was speaking of the sign by which all would know he was the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. Also in Matthew 17, 22, he said, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him and the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful to hear that. In, in Mark's gospel, it tells us that he spoke this word openly. He spoke it several times openly to his disciples. And in Luke chapter 18, verse 31, Jesus said, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. 
for he will be delivered to the Gentiles, mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. You see, Jesus spoke of this day. He spoke of it at least 10 times openly to his disciples. It was no secret. But they just weren't listening. They just weren't listening. I once went through a non-lethal training course in the Marine Corps. And one of the goals of this course was to instruct each one of us how effective non-lethal measures can be. And of course, being Marines, that meant we had to practice on each other, right? So it was a lot of fun. Naturally, we did a lot of arm bars, baton strikes, nerve pinches, handcuff procedures, all that good fun stuff, right? But throughout the day, there was one thing our instructor kept telling us, or should I say warning us, Guys, this is fun, but I'm telling you, there's nothing as effective as police strength pepper spray. And we would be like, yeah, haha, that's great. And we would keep training, right? We heard the words, but we didn't really hear what he was saying. We figured it out at last, though, when we had to form a line and step forward. And each one of us, with eyes open, received three sprays to the face of police grade pepper spray. And yes, they made sure our eyes were open. I couldn't believe it, you know? (laughs) Open your eyes. You're not going anywhere until your eyes are open. So we're getting sprayed in the face, you know? And and it's this moment where we suddenly realize the instructor was right. There was nothing quite as incapacitating as police strength pepper spray to the face with your eyes open. If you were not in that class, but watching from the outside, you would have thought everybody went stark raving mad in that moment. I mean, grown men drooling, crying, running around, fighting to be in front of a little electric fan, you know. No, me, me first, you know. And fighting over this little water tub and splashing water on our faces. I guarantee you, we figured out what the instructor meant in that moment. We suddenly realized there was weight behind his words. The same thing happened with the disciples, guys. Suddenly, as they're staring at the empty tomb and the angel is talking to him, it breaks through. And they have a breakthrough moment where, oh my goodness, Jesus talked about this openly. Why do I bring this up? We're talking about the power of prophecy this morning. Jesus is God's prophet. If Jesus said it and it happened then what else do you and I need to take note of this morning about what Jesus has said to us? Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16 and verse 23, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your own life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, catch this, but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. 
Jesus said those words too, didn't he? Jesus is a prophet. And today he's warning all and he wants us all to be ready for that day. You see the first time Jesus came? He came in love and mercy and grace. He came to give his life for you and me. To die on that cross as a substitute for the sin of the whole world. That you and I, through believing in him, could have the gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins and redemption and adoption and all the other blessings that come. But listen, he also told us that if we're going to follow him, that means that we lay down our lives. We don't go our way, we go his way. Are you ready for that day? And church, I'm not trying to scare anybody here today. I'm just saying, if Jesus warned his disciples about the resurrection, and they kind of let it slide, and then they had that aha moment. Listen, I would hate for anyone here to have that aha moment after you die. When you step into the presence of that endless blaze of glory, the eternal God, And he says, let's go over your life. Let's go over the life that I gifted you with to live for me. Guys, we want to be ready for that day. And that brings us to the perfect power of God's love. Because the only way we can be ready for that day is if we have an understanding, or at least somewhat of an understanding of the love of God. The perfect power of God's love for you today. Look at Matthew 28, verse 8 through 10. It says, the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. I want to pause right here. This is kind of an interesting mix of emotions in this one verse. It says they're filled with great fear, or they're they're very frightened, but then they're also filled with great joy. Let's, let's, let's look at that first emotion first, frightened. What were they frightened of? Why were they frightened? I'll tell you why. Because this is something that was unheard of. This is something they had never experienced before. I mean, they're looking at an angel shining in their presence. And then Jesus appears, who they saw being whipped and beaten, and his beard being pulled out, and the crown of thorns crushed onto his head, and the nails in his wrists, and through his feet, and being hung on that Roman cross. They watched him agonizingly push off that nail, and and raise up so that he could breathe that day. They saw the blood dripping from the cross, and listen, they were frightened to see Jesus Christ alive again, Because it meant that Jesus Christ really was God in the flesh. They're frightened because of what they do not know. But notice this, that fear is exchanged for great joy. It says that in the same moment they were filled with great joy. Why? Because of what they did not know. I'm sorry, because of what they did know. That is that Jesus, their great teacher, their friend, and also now their God is alive. He's alive. And so it fills them with great joy. This frightened fear changes to great joy as they see the Lord beckoning them to him. Look at verse 9. It says, as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And then they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. 
Listen, in spite of their initial fears, notice how the love of Jesus casts out their fear. He receives them with intentionality, doesn't he? He greets them with a smile and the warmth of his unconditional love. Take note, there is no condemnation here. There is no hint of disappointment here. Jesus isn't looking at him and going, guys, how could you forget that I said I was going to rise from the dead? How could you forget this? No, there's no condemnation. There's no disappointment. I would also would like you to notice how this unconditional love affected them in this moment. Notice their fear was exchanged for joy. And they come running to the Lord and they fall down and grasp his feet and they worship him. Listen, when we understand the unconditional love of Jesus, we too will find that the happiest place in the world to be is grasping the feet of Jesus and worshiping him and just saying, Lord, Lord, you're not mad at me. You're not disappointed in me. You're alive. Do you know what this means for us? Do you know what this means, Lord? And we can begin to exalt him and worship him and put him in his true place. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. What unconditional love. I want to, this is where we're wrapping it up, guys, but I want you to notice the unconditional love of Jesus Christ here. What do I mean by this? What do I mean his unconditional love? Well, it's unconditional because, you see, his disciples had kind of done a dirty deed to Jesus Christ, we might say. They had deserted him and abandoned him and turned their backs on him. They had kind of left him on his own on the night of his betrayal and his trials and his crucifixion. In fact, in Matthew 26, verse 31 through 32, we read that, on, or that Jesus spoke this to his friends, his disciples. He said to them, tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. What was Jesus quoting? He was quoting the words of a prophecy. The prophecy of Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7. He quoted it to the disciples on the night that he was betrayed. And sure enough, the the disciples scattered. The friends of Jesus denied deserted and abandoned Jesus to his fate. They turned their back on the Lord. But did you notice here in Matthew 28, the first thing Jesus says when he comes out of that tomb, he says, hey, go tell my brothers that I can't wait to see him. Tell them to head to Galilee and I'm gonna meet them there. That is God's heart for you and me too. That is God's heart of love, unconditional love for you and I. Perhaps you can relate to the disciples. Perhaps you, like me, know and are aware that countless times you have turned your back on the Lord. You've denied him. You've abandoned him. You've deserted him. All for the convenience of self. I know the feeling well, guys. I wish I didn't do it. I wish that wasn't me, but it is. It's true of me, just like it's true of you. 
But you want to know the beautiful good news here this morning is that Jesus rising from the dead, the first thing he wants to do is to go and to find those same guys that denied and deserted and abandoned him. And he says, go tell them, I can't wait to see them. I can't wait to see them. If you're listening to me this morning, please do not leave without hearing this message. God loves you and he created you for a relationship with him. Our sins separate us from God. The things that we do that don't measure up to God's standard, they separate us from fellowship with God. And sin cannot be removed by simply doing good things. Just making it out to church doesn't remove your sins. Giving an offering to the church doesn't remove sins. Joining a a good organization for the, the, the health of planet Earth doesn't remove your sins. Being a a concerned citizen in the city of Paris and making sure that you vote every year doesn't remove your sins. Sin cannot be removed by works except for one work, and that is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus paid the price for all sin by dying on that cross and rising again, which we're celebrating today. He is alive. And that is the guarantee that everyone who trusts in him alone receives forgiveness for sins. You receive the gift of eternal life simply by saying, Lord, I receive it. Lord, I trust it. God, I believe it. Life starts with Jesus right now. And it lasts forever. Did you catch that? Life with Jesus starts now. And it lasts forever. What must we do to do the works that God requires us to do? Well, Jesus said there is only one. That the work of God is this. He said to believe in the one who he has sent. So have you done that today? Are you doing that on a regular basis? Are you waking up every day and saying, Lord, I'm not going to make it without you. I invite you in my life. I need you. Today, Lord, I need your grace. I need all the help you can give me, Lord. Inviting the Lord on a daily basis, trusting him every day. The idea is that of a child who trusts in their mother or their father to love them and to take care of them. There's no doubting in that child's mind that he can trust a loving mother and father. Now, we being evil, we know that as we sin, we that the, the mistrust enters in, right? We lose our temper with our kids. They begin to trust us a little bit less sometimes. And there's some of you here today who have great wounds from your earthly mother, your earthly father. But let me tell you this, your heavenly father, you can trust him because he loves you perfectly. He will never do anything that is not in your best interest for the greater good, for the greater good. We may not always understand, but we can trust him with all that we are. How much more than with Jesus Christ, who is perfect in all of his ways, perfect in all of his love. Did you know that you, this morning, right where you sit, can put your faith in Jesus Christ? You can do that by believing that he died for you on the cross and trust in him alone to forgive you of your sins. 
And as you do that this morning, you are adopted into the family of God. You enter into a personal, permanent relationship with Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've done that already at one point in your life. But for whatever reason, you've gotten off track. You've turned your back. You've denied. You might even have abandoned And you're kind of doing your own thing. But listen, today you sense that God wants you to make a recommitment to him. We're going to take a moment right now on this holy, special day, which celebrates that Jesus is alive. And I want to take the time to lead you in a prayer this morning to trust in Jesus Christ right now. Whether it's a recommitment of your life to him, or whether it is for the first time. So I would ask you if you wouldn't mind to close your eyes and bow your heads with me this morning. And if the Lord is speaking to your heart, the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart right now as I'm speaking, that you need to trust in Jesus Christ or make a recommitment to Jesus Christ this morning, then you can express your newfound faith in Christ by simply repeating these words in your heart, to God. So if that is you, please pray. In your heart, right now, say, Dear God, thank you so much for sending your son to die in my place for my sins. I receive this gift, this free gift, of eternal life through faith right now. Amen. Amen. Now, please listen. That prayer that you just said did not save you. It did not save you. It is your faith, it is your trust in Jesus Christ, the risen Son of God, that saves you. Not that prayer. There will be many people, unfortunately, who have said that prayer, but they will be in hell at the end of their lives because they never trusted Jesus Christ. They never delivered their life to him and said, Lord, I trust you. You're the only one that can take away my sin and save me. You see, the evidence that you have trusted in Jesus today is simply that you cling to him for the rest of your days. 